This is This Alt-Right Life with Matt Forney. Get ready, the world is changing. And a very warm welcome to you, whether you're listening in Europe, America, or anywhere in the world. I'm Matt Forney, and this is This Alt-Right Life. I'm coming to you from somewhere in Budapest, Hungary. Thank you for tuning in to this 38th episode of the program for this, the week of January 23rd, 2017. On this episode of the show, I talk to Jason Kessler. Jason is an American writer and investigative journalist, contributor to Got News, and the author of the crime novel Badland Blues and the poetry collection Midnight Road. You can visit him on the web at jasonkessler.net and follow him on Twitter and Gab at twitter.com slash themaddimension and gab.ai slash themaddimension. On this show, Jason and I discuss his efforts to fight Black Lives Matter. We talk about his campaign to get Wes Bellamy, the anti-white Black Lives Matter supporting vice mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia, ousted, his experiences at President Trump's inauguration in the Deplorable, his new political action committee designed to push nationalist and anti-leftist policies, and much more. So stay tuned. Jason, welcome to This Salt Right Light. Thank you for coming on the program. Good to be here, Matt. Okay, uh, uh, I do this well my first time guests because it's always a good idea to let the subject define themselves in their own words and not put words in their mouth. So Jason, for the uh, people in the audience who don't know who you are, could you just give a brief overview of yourself, your work, that kind of thing? Sure. I'm an investigative journalist, author, and activist. I've written uh, a noir crime novel. I've written a book of poetry. I've uh, written a few articles for Chuck Johnson at Got News. And I run a website, jasonkessler.net, where I publish uh, think pieces on a wide range of political topics. Yes. And the main reason we'll be talking, thing we'll be talking about in this first segment is uh, your, uh, your struggle, your campaign against the Black Lives Matter supporting vice mayor of your hometown, Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Wes Bellamy. Could you give an overview of uh, what this guy's been up to and uh, why you've been campaigning against him? Right. Yeah, this is a really nasty guy, very anti-white guy who uh, had a lot of people in Charlottesville very upset. I mean, I don't normally pay attention to local politics. I, I usually like national politics, but this guy had had really pissed me off because, number one, he was trying to get rid of this Robert E. Lee Confederate statue. He spit on the statue and was trying to spend $700,000 to tear it down. He said that uh, Thomas Jefferson and Monticello were next. This is the home of Thomas Jefferson. He founded our university, UVA. And uh, he'd also boycotted the restaurant of a UVA lecturer named Doug Muir for this Facebook post where he said that Black Lives Matter was racist, the most racist since the Klan. So when this guy boycotted Doug Muir and it made international headlines going as far as the Daily Mail in the UK – I decided to look into his social media to see if he had anything to say. So I went on to Twitter and I used some keyword searches like black, white, and he just had like a ton of really nasty anti-white things. And actually, this is a very liberal town, Charlottesville. He had a lot of things that would piss liberals off too. I mean, what he said was, for instance, so sad seeing these beanpole body white women in these sundresses. I don't like white people, so I hate white snow. Uh, eat it while she sleep. If she moan, it ain't rape. He said, white women are the devil. He said, LOL, funniest thing about being down south is seeing little white men 
and the look on their faces when they have to look up to you. And he said uh, some other bullshit. White women smell like assault charges and deli meat. Basically, it sounds like he was creeping on some white women at some point. They rejected him, and he's held this nasty grudge ever yeah. since. Yeah, in addition to that, and he sounds basically like the stereotype of a black power left-wing academic people we all know and hate with all this crap about you know the, the Confederate flag and all this crap. Yeah, I mean, he's like a living, breathing, we was Kang's meme. The the picture that I used for my article, I couldn't even believe it. He has he goes around wearing these Black Lives Matter uh, shirts and so forth. And he has this one that has the N-word crossed off on it. And it says, Kang, exclamation point under it. So he's involved with this uh, pseudo-scientific black Egyptian pharaoh hypothesis, too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what did you uh, do to sort of uh, get the get the awareness of what this guy was was doing? Get get it out there. Well, uh, fortunately, I got some help. I got connected with Virginia Flaggers, who are a movement of people who are trying to preserve uh, the memory of the Confederacy in Virginia. So they they go around and they present legal challenges to these people who are trying to take down statues. And thank God they're there because. I mean, it, it, it doesn't stop with the Confederacy. These people are going to go after the founding fathers. This guy said he's going after Thomas Jefferson, Lincoln, any, any person that you could think of that's historical, who, who's white, that might have said something or done something that could be construed as racist or whatever. They just want to smear these people and tear them from our history books. So anyway, this uh, Virginia Flaggers group started sharing it and it just exploded. The traffic to my site went to like from a few hundred people the previous day to uh, 14,000 the next day. And then over time, it was hundreds of thousands of people viewing it. And uh, <clears throat> I got interviewed by the Washington Post. I was on uh, Infowars with Paul Joseph Watts and all this stuff. And uh, <clears throat> the first shoe to drop was that the Republican legislator forced him to resign from the Virginia Board of Education, where he was one of only nine people deciding everything that goes in the textbooks. And this is one of these guys who's influenced by these African studies departments that are in the university that are ridiculously anti-white. And this guy, no doubt, was trying to put that sort of anti-white narrative into kids' textbooks, little kids. And on top of that, uh, as you were telling me off air, um, the guy is borderline illiterate and has zero qualifications for the job. Oh, yeah. Like, basically, it got posted on 4chan. And, <laughs> of course, with the hilarious results, people were trolling the shit out of these city councilors. And, uh, <laughs> and this guy was actually responding to it and he was misspelling all kinds of words he was saying i'm not a prophet p-r-o-f-i-t uh so he's he's a ridiculous person to be, have been on the virginia board of education in the first place he's only 30 years old has no qualifications um he's basically an affirmative action hired base the the what happens is in a town like charlottesville it's very far left and these people are limousine liberals who control the place. Uh, they, they're millionaires in a lot of cases. They, they run very powerful uh, nonprofit groups funded by Soros in some cases. And when they come through and try and push their agenda, they need a black face to prove that they're uh, 
paying attention to the concerns of the underclass, even though that's a complete myth. And so that's what this guy is. They don't care who he is or what he stands for, just that he's a black person. Basically, and he's, so, just, he's just a token that they can use to sort of wallpaper over what they're actually doing. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they didn't care at all that he was ridiculously racist towards white people. Yes, and um, yeah, I, I was going to basically ask how this guy got into power, but you basically answered the question there. Um, um, what was the initial reaction to uh, when you uh, when you started exposing him and started uh, uh, bringing attention to what he was doing? Well, for the most part, things were okay at first, uh, where the media didn't really want to cover it. Uh, they, they are trying to cover for him. The media here is even more left wing than, than the usual mainstream media because they serve a left wing audience. Uh, but they didn't really go after me. Uh, <laughs> later on, they would start to go after me. Like I had people make things up about me. Uh, I had a person go online and make this fake, uh, rap video or something like that and it's it had a picture of a black guy in prison garb and it said like rape ape or ape is rape <laughs> and this seville weekly this news weekly oh at the end of the video it said lyrics by jason kessler but i didn't make the fucking video you know i'd never <laughs> heard of it and so they printed that on their online site and it was up for eight hours before i I contacted them and told them, look, if that's not down, my lawyer is going to ream you guys out. And they took it down immediately because there's a hate blogger who's after me. I get doxxed. Like you hear about these people who are high profile people. You hear about Richard Spencer or um, anybody else. They they publish um, my family members and to yeah. these Black Lives Matter groups and so forth. Yeah, that's actually happened to me as well. Though fortunately, my my, uh, my family didn't live anywhere near Chicago where I was living at the time, so they weren't any threat. But yeah, that's their that's their usual method of of intimidation. You know, try to shut you up through the implicit threat of violence. Yeah, but fortunately, you know, I mean, the media did take it seriously. He tried to pretend like he'd been hacked, like he didn't make the tweet. So the, the if anybody answer, out the there listening is trying to do this, what you got to do is you got to go on archive.is. When you catch them, don't go and brag about it or whatever. You archive it because they're going to say I was hacked or it's fake. Yeah, they'll try so, the they'll try the Anthony Weiner defense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you got to so you have to double and triple archive that that shit. Um, Definitely. Now, yeah. Now, Jason, uh, you uh, you actually had, uh, went and uh, as part of uh, your campaign to get this guy removed, you actually went and testified to the city council about this, and uh, you were uh, attacked by a mob of people calling you an alt right racist. Uh, you want you want to talk about that experience? Yeah. I mean, first of all. These people don't even know what the alt-right is. And I'm not even sure if I know what the alt-right is anymore. It was something in 2016. And then uh, the Atlantic and the MSM basically tricked uh, Richard Spencer into this Shanghai where they, uh, they wanted to brand the alt-right as this Nazi thing. And that's not what it is to me. I know there's a lot of... Uh, ironic uh, joke posters and so so on and so forth, but for me that's not what it is. Uh, but I agree with a lot of the <clears throat> the sentiment that 
we need to reform the culture. Cultural Marxism is hostile towards white people. It's not good for civilization. That part I definitely agree with. So anyway, <clears throat> they went on to my Twitter because of course they would. If I, when you go and you look up somebody's social media and you put them on blast or something, they're going to go and look after you. So they went through all my blog posts to try and find something. But I'm not really an edgelord. You know, I never really put up anything that was too terrible. I just have my opinions. And, and if you don't like my opinions, it's fine. But I make my arguments. I'm not somebody who is using a lot of slurs or whatever. So <clears throat> the only thing that they could find was they saw where I had drawn a picture of Pepe on the free wall, free speech wall of my city. And I posted that on Twitter and said, hi, poll. And then they saw a commentary that I made on the MPI conference where the people were doing the, the SIG Hiles or whatever, and I was commenting on it. And basically I was, I was saying that I didn't think the speech, there was anything uh, out of the ordinary with the speech. It was pretty mainstream speech. But I did say the salutes were dumb. I think they were really dumb. I don't yeah. think they reflect well on the movement. So that is what it is. But they – they see no distinction. They came in like a mob. It was like all these Black Lives Matter protesters coming in to the city council and they're holding up signs saying stop alt-right hate and they're booing me. And I just made a performance out of it. I came in. I had a little speaker. I played uh, Don't, uh, I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. And I came up there and this guy, he said, I, I like to see the look on the face of a little white man when they look up to a black man. Well, when you come up to speak, there's a podium there, and then it's like this council of elders before you that are like really raised up above you. So I literally did look up at him when I repeated that tweet, and I looked him in the eye, and he flinched. And so that was pretty gratifying. <clears throat> Afterwards, I get mobbed by all these uh, news agencies, and they're, co they're coming and asking me questions. And they can't hardly ask the questions because there's all these uh, angry Black Lives Matter people yelling, racist, Nazi. And I've, I've told people before in forums, I, if you come after me and you call me racist or Nazi, I take those as ethnic slurs. Because for these Black Lives Matter people, they say only white people can be racist. Why would you say that unless you want to use it as a slur for a certain group of people? And I'm of German descent, so when they say you're a Nazi. Okay, well, that is an ethnic slur to me. So you want to play that game with me? I can play it with you too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's like uh, like uh, uh, Solinsky said in Rules for Radicals: make the enemy live up to their own book of rules. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I do think that it's smart for a number of people in our movement to be looking at Solinsky and what he did. I mean, I, we don't want to be. Like SJWs, we don't want to be obnoxious. We want to be smart, but we want to know their tactics and we want to be able to uh, fight back against them because you can't just do things on the internet. We did a great job working online, trolling people, finding information about people, great oppo research, but we are going to need some people to come into the real world and start to make changes. Yeah, exactly. And as part of your campaign against Bellamy, uh, you're actually uh, leading a, a petition drive to get him recalled from office. You want to talk more about that? Sure. So basically, if this guy was a white man and he'd said even one of the milder things, like Bellamy said, white women are the devil. 
it, it, and that's one of the milder things. If he was a white man and he said black women are the devil, he would be gone immediately. But these city councilors, these left-wing limousine liberals, they won't even say that he did anything wrong. He can just be so racist against white people, nothing wrong. Fortunately, we were able to get him off the Virginia Board of Education. He also had to resign from his uh, his teaching position because he was actually tweeting uh, – you know, it, it, it ain't rape if she moans while he was teaching kids. But the thing that I've always been after has been to try and get him off of the city council. And because they don't want to be personally accountable, there's a recall process where you can remove somebody from office. You got to get 10% of the number of signatures of people who voted for the guy. And I'm going to be there by next week. I've had to go out for a month every day two hours on the downtown mall talking to people uh, and screening people, getting, getting signatures. And, we're, and I have had no help from the media. Every time there's a Muslim activist or a Black Lives Matter activist, they come swooning for these people and promoting their cause and helping them get their signatures. There's been a writ, like a blackout on what I'm doing, even though it's been a huge news story in this area. Uh, <clears throat> well... We're finally going to force him to go to court, and we're going to try him for misuse of office. And hopefully they will use civil rights laws that he's violated by saying these things about white people and also attacking our history, uh, just having this grievance against our people for so long. And it's the kind of thing that's like swimming up tide. It's more difficult to do, but you're having a more fundamental impact because you're shifting the Overton window. The narrative is racism is only against black people and, uh, and only white people are punished for racism. So to even the playing field, we have to go out there and force them to cover our issues. So the media doesn't want to cover it, but they can't help it if the guy is in court and he's being tried for racism against white people. And the entire Black Lives Matter SJW philosophy is basically on trial for the entire country to see. They can't help that. Yeah, so basically um, it's it's not just about getting rid of him. It's about show, showing a message to everyone who's like him in this country in a position of power. You know, uh, you're not, we're not going to take it anymore. You know, these people have been running roughshod throughout the Obama years, uh, uh, poisoning children's minds with this Marxist hate, uh, just spewing this anti-white hatred with no consequences. And you, even and, – and, and your uh, your effort is in part designed to say, no, we're not going to take it anymore. Uh, if you're going to spew this nonsense, we're going to fight you on it and we're going to – to try and get you removed from power if we can. Yeah, exactly. It's Pavlovian at its very essence. We're creating a pain response to let them know, don't mess with us. And they've been doing it for a long time. They've been doing it for decades. Uh, you know, they, people would have commercials or they'd have movies. And then for no reason, NAACP, Al Sharpton, these race pimps will come in and they will sue the crap out of these uh, these folks and say, you have to put more black people, you have to put uh, more gays, you have to put more of this, more of that. And soon, it, straight white people aren't even represented proportionally in TV commercials anymore. So we are the ones who are being discriminated against. And the, the customer base for these movies or for these uh, products, the commercials are advertising, are, are mostly white people, but they're forcing us out of our own 
enterprises. So the, by now, the companies have felt a pain response because they're tired of being sued. So they just put this cultural Marxist stuff in there de facto. So what we got to do to reverse that is we got to fight back uh, through litigation the same way that they do in a sense and we've got to make them boom sock them in the jaw in a legal sense and force them to know do not mess with them yes uh, what's what chances do you give of actually being able to remove Bellamy from office like uh, how, how, how do you do you think you're going to be successful or um, just what, what chance do you give I think it's 50 50 um it's a very difficult thing to do to actually remove them from office, but it's a win-win situation because even if he doesn't get removed, uh, we drag his name through the mud some more and make more of an example out of him. We bring these issues of anti-white racism more to the fore and really highlight how the media is sweeping it under the rug. But we do have an argument. We, we have the argument that he assigned his official Twitter account, it says Vice Mayor of Charlottesville, to these tweets. He's also had a pattern of discrimination in his hiring. Like he only hires other black people for things. I know affirmative action is supposed to give them some leeway in that regard, but this dude is just going overboard. Like no, no whites allowed, just, just black people. And <clears throat> I, I believe that these tweets are indicative of his mindset. That that's why he's going after the Robert E. Lee statue. That's why he's going after uh, Thomas Jefferson is because he hates white people. He hates our history and he wants to see it destroyed and dismantled. But there's another aspect to it that's not a civil rights aspect. I uh, was tipped off about some <clears throat> other abuses that he might have through this phony nonprofit of his called Young Black Prof Professionals Network of Charlottesville. So I was told, uh, you might want to check into the IRS and the Virginia Board of Charitable Organizations on this guy. So I looked them up through GuideStar. If you want to look into a nonprofit, it's GuideStar. GuideStar said, uh, this nonprofit is required to file a 990 in. And that tells you what money is coming in, what money is going out. This dude never filed the 990N. He's had this organization for two years, never filed it. So we don't know where the money is coming from. Uh, on his website, Young Black Professionals Network of Charlottesville, uh, it, it says 100% deductible. And he's never filed as a charity with the state of Virginia. You can search that through a database. And it says, by Virginia law, you're not allowed to take one red cent without registering. So these are other things which could be thrown at it to show the misuse of office. Because in the end, I want to win. And, and I will throw all of his misbehavior at him in court to make, to make the argument. So, so basically, this guy isn't just a you know an anti-white uh, asshole. He's a potentially a uh, a financial criminal and a swindler on top of it. Oh, absolutely! And I've gotten a lot of stuff uh, unconfirmed through emails as well that that kind of led me in this direction as well. People saying, you know, that he would show up at people's houses and demand money for things like for candles for a candlelight vigil and then never come back with the money or he would show up at city councilors houses and say you vote with me or i'm going to call you racist in public uh, basically it's a it's 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 straight up extortion and he's also you know pressuring the most poorest and most vulnerable members in society into giving him his money which he uses for god knows what purpose Absolutely. I mean, th this guy is so obsessed with 
his uh, vendetta against white people and this Black Lives Matter hate ideology, they want to spend $700,000 to move that Robert E. Lee statue. That's almost a million dollars. I mean, if they really cared about the most at-risk people of any race within the community, we have so many roads that need to be built. We have so many infrastructure issues. Put people back to work. Don't be trying to do this propaganda. And it's not just that. They spent, they've spent. they already spent $10,000 on this Blue Ribbon Commission, which they stacked with all these like Afrocentric intellectuals. And you listen to their report, and it's all white supremacy, white supremacy. That, that's all they talk about. They're so deluded. Uh, and <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so th- this guy is is really out of control, and um, and and that's got to change. Yeah, yeah, it does. And um, uh, and I'm hoping you uh, can uh, basically stick it to this guy, or at least basically teach him a lesson. Because even if, uh, as you've said, even if you can't get him removed from office, you know his name's out there. He's now known as the uh, the whack job. Uh, anti-white, uh, spurned by a white woman uh, lunatic, spouting racial hatred and uh, swindling, swindling poor people for, for bucks. Yeah, I mean, if you Google his name right now or you Bing his name, uh, it's, it's all about the anti-white racism stuff. And y- the listeners at home can do the same thing. I've talked to uh, nationally syndicated radio host uh, Kevin Jackson, and his thing is like exposing these guys. He calls race pimps, and he says there's one in almost every urban city in America. There's people who are trying to take down uh, Robert E. Lee statue in uh, New Orleans, and they're all over the place. And, and these guys, I was going to say before, they're not just saying take down the statue, which was paid for by a private foundation. They're also saying let's spend taxpayer dollars to put up a Martin Luther King statue. I mean, if Martin Luther King isn't from this community, we already have, you know, so many performing art centers and different things named after Martin Luther King. Why do we need to spend taxpayer money to put up a Martin Luther King statue? Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, yeah, uh, Jay, this has all been very fascinating, but uh, we, we will be moving on in the next segment. Uh, Jason, is there anything else you'd like to talk about this case uh, before we uh, head into the uh, next part of the show? Well, uh, if you guys want to express some uh, opinions to city council or Virginia state legislator, be sure to look that up. Uh, a lot of the contact info is uh, on my website, jasonkessler.net, and you just scroll down on the 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 page and you'll see him you know he's wearing that shirt that says uh king uh exclamation point on it forward it to national news outlets forward it to fox news and anybody you can because this is a golden opportunity to expose how these black lives matter people really think about us and we should make uh as much hay out of it as possible uh, exactly. Um, and we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes to talk more about uh, Trump's inauguration and the uh, the future of American politics. I'm Matt Forney, and you're listening to This Alt-Right Life. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we Twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched were 
Listening to This Alt Right Life with Matt Forney. Welcome back. I'm speaking to Jason Kessler. Now, Jason, uh, this past weekend you were actually at both. Uh, you witnessed both uh, Donald Trump, President Trump's inauguration, as well as uh, the deplorable, the pro-Trump event being put on the day before by Mike Cernovich. You want to talk about your experiences at the deplorable and the inauguration? Sure. Yeah. First of all, I was really excited to go to the Deplorable. I know there's a lot of controversy that's been brewing uh, among the the different factions of what you could call the meme brigade from uh, the Trump election. But to me, that doesn't mean anything. Like I listen to people from all across the spectrum, and I, I don't really care when people are getting into these little beefs with each other. You know, I care about results. I care about. Uh, achieving the policy goals that we care about. And I think Mike Cernovich did a great job for Trump during the election. So anyway, I I showed up there. I had a new suit uh, that I I bought for this. It was at the National Press Club. And as you uh, approach the National Press Club, there's just this throng of like screeching, like groaning, uh, massive Antifa and other uh, discontent groups, and they're screaming, Nazi, Nazi, go away. And they're, they've got these Antifa signs and so forth. But it was reassuring because there was a solid wall of police protection uh, in the entryway. And they had these Antifa guys just like perfectly framed in a square so they couldn't touch us. And everybody was coming in, like a lot of people were in uh, – tux, uh, black tie, a lot of the gorgeous women there wearing ball gowns and so forth. And uh, for the most part, we didn't have any problems. They kept these guys really far back. When we got in, there was a long line. I saw Martin Screlly immediately as soon as I came in. And um, <clears throat> while we're waiting in line, Mike Cernovich comes up and he's talking to the guards. He, uh, uh, he, he seemed like a sort of an average guy to me. Uh, His eyes were darting around a lot. It seemed like he was really just investing a lot of himself in making the thing go off. I saw him rushing back and forth through the crowd to get all these things organized. And um, there there was an open bar, of course. Uh, There was live music. There was a Trump impersonator. A guy did a live art painting of Trump and and the flag. And then they sort of had this uh, rally. Uh, James O'Keefe spoke, uh, Sheriff David Clark spoke, and he probably had the best line of the night. He, uh, he said, a lot of folks are saying that we should be reaching ac- across the aisle. 
well, I'm going to tell you, if I reach across the aisle, it's to grab one of them by the throat. And the crowd just went crazy. It was a great, it was a great time. Lauren Southern was there. Gavin McInnes was there. He got into a little bit of a fight with an Antifa outside. Yeah, yeah all yeah, around good time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and it's glad to see that the Antifas weren't able to, to break it up because those are the same people who were uh, um, att- trying to shut down uh, MPI's conference in, in November. And from what you described, there were basically there was far more police protection, and uh, basically the, the police weren't taking any shit. They they were they were just. Uh, and it's good to see that the the, uh, the attendees were also, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, just not 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 taking it, lying it down either. Yeah, I mean, you got to hand it to the event organizers. They pull off a very professional event. You got to hand it to James O'Keefe for exposing these guys that were going to put the whatever it is, butyric acid uh, stink bombs in the place. And uh, yeah, you got to hand it to the police who, who did a fantastic job keeping these guys out. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what was the uh, day of the inauguration itself like? Uh, for the inauguration itself, um, <clears throat> you had to have tickets to get into the really close areas, the uh, general admission no-ticket areas. It, it, it completely exposes the myth that this inauguration wasn't well attended, and that's already being debunked by people showing it from different angles, and that, that empty crowd overhead picture was done earlier in the day or something. Anyway, in my experience... I went to several lines, and the lines are snaking up and down the block, up and down the street. To you have to walk like 15 minutes to find the end of the line, and these people are all waiting to get into the, the National Mall for the Trump inauguration. So, if there was any space left over, let me tell you, there were a lot. There were thousands, thousands, and thousands of people waiting outside to get in, and part of the problem was that. I'm checking my Twitter feed. I see Paul Joseph Watson showing these um, disrupt J20 protesters are forming like a human chain around the entrance to the National Mall. And they're playing this game where it's like you can't touch them or it's assault. And so no one can do anything. And people just want to peaceably assemble as is their constitutional right. And these guys are trying to bring in this uh, anarchy, this uh, complete lawlessness. And one good video I saw, though, was you had these bikers for Trump there. And the bikers for Trump are tough, tough men, and they don't give a shit. They came up there and they grabbed some of these protesters in the chain and just, bam, pulled them apart so that the uh, the Trump supporters could get through onto the National Mall. And this guy was filming it saying, hey, I've got you on camera. And the biker turns around to him and says, I don't give a shit. My name is Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that because uh, these these left wing protest tactics really rely on the uh, exploiting the basic decency of other people. Like um, the whole idea of of, you, of physically blocking off someone and daring them you to hit them. Um, I actually experienced that myself a couple. Um, my, my, my best example was a couple years ago when I went to NPI's uh, uh, conference in 2015. Uh, their uh, their autumn conference. Uh, I left a building with a friend of mine to uh, to. to take care of some some business and when we came back to the building uh this smelly disgusting hippie decides to physically get um in in the way of me in the door like he's between me and the door and every time i try to switch to another door he slides in front of me he's like what you doing here pal i was like uh i'm here to use the bathroom and he's like oh 
well, you can go right here. My buddy says, oh, we're here for NPI. He's like, oh, NPI. So you're fucking Nazis. And uh, one of the security guards opens the door and lets us in. But uh, basically, the guy's like trying to goad us into a physical attack so they can cry, oh, those evil Nazis, they physically attacked us for uh, expressing our uh, our uh, our opinion of them. You know, this the, you know this passive-aggressive bullshit. And it's glad to see that, good to see that the bikers for Trump were uh, not letting them get away with it at the inauguration. Yeah, totally. For any of the people who are uh, looking to leave the internet and go and deal with some of these things in person, you have to be careful because it's not anything like you think it is. These people are so damn annoying, and they're and they've been trained to be annoying and to uh, basically tempt you into technically breaking the law. Like I went into. <clears throat> This press conference that uh, that Bellamy and this other group had put together, and uh, they were trying to act like he's still a fit to be a leader after the things that he's had to say. So I went in there and I started reading the tweets, and some of his people, they're not police or anything. They have no right to touch me, and they're coming over there and trying to grab me and force me out of the room. And I told them that that was illegal for them to do that. So later on, when I... I'm start, I'm trying to leave. I've got like, once again, this throng of angry, uh, left-wing radicals at my back and I'm trying to leave. And this big, huge woman, like the size of a, a, a linebacker, you know, is, uh, standing in front of me. And I'm like, excuse me, can I get around you? And she, every time I try and step in a different direction, she steps in front of me. And then if I walk into her, she says, assault, assault, assault. So these people are really crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, basically, um, and as I mentioned, as I said just before, uh, they're relying on the basic decency of their opponents not do anything. This is, but uh, we've, we've really seen people quickly get fed up with the left. Um, like, for example, the law proposed in North Dakota to uh, lower the penalties for running over a protester if you're in a car or a truck. Well, basically, that, that was necessitated by all these asshole environmentalists trying to block the Dakota Access Pipeline physically with their bodies. Um, so you can't physically block off a, off a, uh, a, a truck, a, a, a road anymore um, if, uh, if this law goes through. Or I remember actually a few months uh, last year when uh, during the Arizona primary when Donald Trump tried to you know give a rally in Phoenix, a uh, bunch of Soros-funded protesters tried to physically block off the road to keep people from going in. Well, one guy decides to start uh, driving through with his van at a low speed. He doesn't actually run anyone over. What happens is the protesters just scatter and they start screaming, they attempted vehicular homicide. They were trying to run us over. It's like no, we're we're just sick of it anymore. You know, you know. It's like George Wallace said. You know, the the, the first the, if an anarchist lies down in front of my car, it's the last car he's going to lie down in front of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what is going to be done about these protesters, but they just keep uh, pushing and keep pushing. And if they're going to get to the point where they're um, promoting a, a certain degree of lawlessness, then yeah, they need to be cracked down on. Uh, you know, because when you're blocking people from coming and going, that is a danger. That's not free speech. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, if you're stopping an ambulance from getting a dying person to the hospital, you are a criminal. And use whatever um, non-lethal means you have of knocking these people the fuck back and uh, you know incapacitating them so that – uh, decent folks can go to work, can go to the hospital, can deal with their business. And these, um, 
Black Lives Matter people and these Antifa people to me are just another gang. They're another street gang, but uh, they they normalize and they embolden the normal gangs, the drug gangs, because you have these people in places like Chicago and Baltimore and Washington, D.C., that are waging a war against the good citizens every day. Many, many people are getting shot. Little Like these gangbangers are shooting at each other and it goes through and, and shoots a little black girl or something. And so what about that life? Does that life matter? So maybe it's time that um, we look at having a military uh, solution to some of these inner city uh, just having supervision, at least, on some of these street corners so in, until the, the gang uh, warfare <clears throat> subsides and people can take their communities back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I was living in Chicago up until recently, and I can speak to the Chicago experience. Uh, the city government, the government there is basically ruled by the gangs. Uh, the government has to accede to the demands of the gangs in order to, uh, to, to, to function, basically. And Black Lives Matter has done a lot to disempower the police and basically make it impossible to, increasingly difficult for them to uh, prosecute crime. That's why the uh, murder rate keeps skyrocketing. Um, and, and Trump just basically said straight up to, to uh, Rahm Emanuel, Either Chicago gets its own murder rate under control or he's going to do it for them because it's completely unacceptable for the major cities of the United States, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, Baltimore, uh, wherever, to be uh, uninhabitable third world hellholes where you know, driving down the street get, you know, can um, result in you getting shot. It's uh, Black Lives Matter has done a lot to really just uh, sow anarchy in many of these places, yeah. and I'm hoping to see um, under under Trump's uh, administration, uh, Black Lives Matter and these Antifa groups uh, be classified as domestic terrorist groups because that's what they are. Absolutely, I mean that's one of the first steps we should be taking, and that's a basic step. Is Black Lives Matter and Antifa should be put on a terrorist watch list because they are hurting people. You know, you, you talk about black lives, you talk about white lives, you talk about blue lives. All these people are dying because the black lives matter is <clears throat> forcing these cops to back away from these gang ridden neighborhoods. And they find one cop shoot somebody every once in a blue moon and they attack before they even know the evidence of whether the cop was defending themselves or not. But you have these gangbangers shooting so many people day in and day out. And th that is where the number total is, is coming from when you look at the homicide rates in places like Chicago. So <clears throat> yeah, Black Lives Matter has allowed the, uh, has forced the police to cede territory to the gangs. And we cannot allow the gangs to keep gaining territory thanks to their uh, PR wing, Black Lives Matter. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, now, to uh, as, as we as we move along with the program, uh, one of the things you want to discuss, Jason, is how to actually ensure that uh, uh, our political program is achieved, uh, even with Trump winning. Uh, to that end, to sort of push nationalist politics, uh, you are uh, creating a new anti-SJW uh, political action committee. Uh, you want to discuss more, uh, talk more about uh, your uh, the this political action committee and your uh, and your plans. Sure. Yeah. Since the Bellamy thing has uh, come out, I've been trying to transition to uh, a larger platform for turning Virginia red for Trump in the next election cycle for combating a lot of these national problems with uh, with crime, with Islamic terrorism, with um, 
Black Lives Matter and these identity politics movements that are sowing so much division. Um, And I've tried to do this through some journalism, but ultimately I found out that what you need is you need money and you need organization and you need volunteers. What you need is something like what George Soros has, where if there's an event, if there's a happening, he's able to bus in all these people to show up and make noise and the media makes big hay out of it. They're like, oh, look how many people support, you know, this left-wing garbage. So we need something to fight that. We need an opposite. So what I have is the U.S. PAC. This is in its nascent uh, stages, but this is one of the big things that I'm going to be working on this year. It's the Unity and Security PAC. And the the heart of it is that it's supporting law enforcement. And I believe through law enforcement, we can, or security, I should say, we can address all of these other issues that are very important to us. So for instance, you can raise money for the police for their legal defense. So these guys are not afraid to do their jobs. Second, and here's a really big one. I'm concerned about these demographic trends. I think there are too many illegal immigrants coming in from south of the border. There are too many uh, radical people coming from the Middle East. And the demographics of this country are just shifting too much. I mean, it's like these liberals are trying to... uh, decimate the white population. I don't know what they're they're trying to do, but we have a right to exist just like everybody else does. So I think one of the things that we can do to create stability and security in this country is we can lobby for immigration laws that require immigrants come from Western countries. That's going to add to security because we have shared value. We don't have to worry about, well, do we bring in too many people from this area? Are are we going to be able to teach them our our culture and our heritage and our philosophy? It's just, there's just too many people coming in. So we've got to, we've got to reevaluate that. We've got to look at being able to have people who are investigators to do things that the police might be hamstrung to do because they have they get hamstrung by political correctness. And that's what you see when these Islamic terror attacks are happening is these people are getting radicalized in plain sight and nobody's able to do a damn thing about it. We need it. What we need are like Confederates, like people who will uh, be like the Project Veritas videos where they can have somebody infiltrate these organizations and monitor them for signs of radicalization and monitor them for these schemes. Cause there are people here in my hometown, Kazir Khan lives here and I guarantee you he's working to bring in so many people from the middle East. When, when the liberals here say diversity, they mean everybody who's not a white person. But when somebody like Kazir Khan hears diversity and you can go and look at all of his interviews, when he hears diversity, he says, Oh, more Muslim people. Every other group says more of my people except for these um, like suicidal, masochistic white liberals. Yeah, exactly. Um, as I pointed out in an article I published at, here at Right On on Friday morning, um, Trump really should have uh, won the election with 60-65% of the vote. But the reason why Republican candidates and conservative candidates have such a hard time is because of all these non-white immigrants coming in and distorting the vote to uh, to uh, in the favor in favor of the Democrats. Um, 
It's only going to get worse, even if uh, the, the borders are slammed shut, because we still have all these legal immigrants coming in. We still have all these refugee programs where we ridiculously I don't I, I don't understand how anyone could think this was could have thought this was a good idea, in which we bomb a country far away into oblivion and then invite the people who uh, that we bomb to start living here as refugees. The Vietnamese, the the, the Laotians, the uh, Syrians, etc., uh, and then we end up shocked that they that they hate our guts and they don't want to assimilate. You know, uh, we can, uh, for example, uh, we start bringing in Somalis. If you live in Minnesota, we start bringing in Somali refugees after uh, our disastrous involvement there in the early nineties, and now we're acting shocked that they're all uh, you know joining going overseas to join ISIS. Um, it's it's completely insane and something that needs to be uh, shut down sooner rather than later because um, with each passing year, the country gets browner uh, more and more white people are dying off and they're being replaced with uh, Mexicans or whoever and even if Trump uh, can uh, won this uh, won this election he could uh, ver- his um, his victory could very well just uh, turn out to be all for naught if we don't get this under control yeah people really have to capitalize on Trump's election to fix things for the better now um, where I stand on this issue I stand for my own independent stance. I don't like to follow other people. My personal belief is that, um, okay, our country was founded by Anglos, obviously, from from England, uh, and it's them and Western civilization which have uh, formed the heart and the core of the country. But since this very inception, we have brought people over from other countries, and I think that it's acceptable to have uh, some level of multiculturalism that will work. But I think that we have way, way, way past the point that it it is going to work where we've where we've not only brought in too many competing factions and, and they're not united as Trump suggested by the red blood of patriots. I would love that for, for that to be true and in many cases it is true. But these cultural Marxists have sown so much discontent in the hearts of our people. They have uh, tried to frame the narrative of American history all about white supremacy and its evil whitey and white men in particular who are to blame for everything. So in the meantime, until we get them out of power, like it's everybody against them. So it's just white and non-white and fight whitey. And and that really scares me because I see a potential future, which is like that that happened in South Africa, where you had these Afrikaners who ruled and they were very despised because of the the apartheid uh, laws. And when they switched over to black rule, I mean – People talk about Nelson Mandela being this transformational leader and so forth, but a lot of the reality on the ground is that they had a genocide of the white people. They were pulling them out of their farms and shooting them. Yeah, and, and those now, people. And now it's just accelerating. Uh, there's a. It's very likely that uh, there's a, a character named uh, Julius Malima who's leading a party that's openly communist and wants to confiscate what is left from the remaining white people in South Africa. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at here if we don't fix it. We we can still fix our system. America can still be strong. But first of all, we've got to teach patriotism to all the people of America, whatever their race. They, we have to try to teach 
patriotism and togetherness. And then we have to try and fix these demographic issues because uh, we cannot allow this to become a different country. It's like the old philosophical question, like if you have a boat and you take it apart plank by plank and replace it by with different planks, is it still the same boat? Well, I mean, if you look at the boat and, it, and you can tell that it doesn't look like the same boat, it's not the same boat. So if you replace... Uh, this entire country with people from Mexico, and they don't have the same heritage, they don't have the same values, uh, they're not the same uh, bloodline. None of these things are in common. They're just not the same people. If you bring people over in a smaller number, they can be very proud of their country, and they can be great immigrants, but that's not what's happening right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's something we need to, to push back against. Now, uh, we're approaching the, uh, the end of the program. Uh, Jason, uh, I know you've uh, been looking for some help in uh, setting up this uh, political action committee. Um, how can uh, people, um, if they're interested in helping you out, uh, get in contact with you for that purpose? Sure. Yeah, you can uh, visit my website, jasonkessler.net. And on the front page, I have a short synopsis of the uh, proposal and a link to a donation page if you want to help get some of the initial money just to get it started. This is not for the pack itself, but for filing articles of incorporation and all of that stuff. I also need just people to help out with work. I need graphics design people to help me out with the logo for the US pack. Uh, and I need people who are anywhere in the country, but particularly in Virginia, to be volunteers, to be boots on the ground. We need to start organizing. Uh, you can reach me at my email address, themaddimension at gmail.com. I'm on Gab and I'm on Twitter. Both of those are at themaddimension. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, Jason, is there any, any other topics or, or things you'd like to bring up before we close out the program? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not right now. Okay, cool. Um, I've been talking to Jason Kessler. Uh, you can, as the man said, you can check out his website, uh, jasonkessler.net. He is also on Twitter at twitter.com slash Jason, uh, the mad dimension and, uh, gab.ai slash the mad dimension. Um, you can also check out his articles at gotnews, gotnews.com. And he's also the author of Badland Blues and Midnight Road. Those are available from Amazon and other fine booksellers. Uh, Jason, thank you once again for coming on the program. Good to be here. And that was Jason Kessler, and that will conclude this episode of This Alt-Right Life. I'll be back next week. Until then, I invite you to check out our website, writeon.net, for our latest articles, podcasts, and videos. You can also check out my personal blog at mattforney.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, please share it on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening via SoundCloud, please like the show by hitting the heart icon on the player. You can also repost it to your accounts by hitting the repost button. Subscribe via SoundCloud. Go to soundcloud.com slash radio. If you're listening via YouTube, please like the show by hitting the thumbs up icon below the player. You can also subscribe via Stitcher and the iTunes Store. And finally, if you are listening via the iTunes Store, please take the time to rate the podcast which will increase its visibility and allow the good gospel of the alternative right and the European new right to reach more people. This alt-right life is presented by Chloe Love and David Serini. Check them out on the web at chloelove.com and stairstheworld.com. The show also features music by Winglord. You'll check by non-carborundum. Don't let the bastards grind you down. I'm Matt Forney. Thanks for listening. I'm out.